Well, folks, hi, it's great to have you all on board the Generation Podcast. Uh, my name is David Meredith, and I am your host today. And my guest today is one of my colleagues, indeed formerly uh, one of my congregants when I was a minister in Inverness. He is Alistair Colley. Alistair is Minister of Tain and Fern, uh, which is up there in a place called Easter Ross, right in the northeast coast of Scotland, for those of you who know the geography. Hi, Alistair. Good to have you today. Hi there. It's good to be with you. Good to catch up again. Okay, so you're no stranger being at the other end of the microphone. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did before you went into the ministry? Yeah, so for probably 16 years before I went to ETS to do to study for ministry, I worked for BBC as a journalist. Most of that time uh, just doing radio, uh, and just the last year, it became television as well when BBC Alaba was launched. Uh, so news really was my my area, uh, journalism. And uh, it was good. It was very interesting, very varied. Um, it was exciting. It was hard work as well because you obviously had to come up with something every day. Uh, and some days there will be, be plenty of news. Some days there will be very little. So you had to be um, creative, at least at times. Okay, I don't like when I hear the word creative in journalism, but I'm sure you were one of the good guys. There's no doubt about that. Um, In in media, I mean, it's really interesting, especially news. You would have met interesting people. You would have interviewed some fascinating characters, gone to some tragedies, gone to some triumphs. Some might say that your transition into ministry would lead to a somewhat duller life. Has that been your experience? Not at all. Um, there are many, many similarities, but I think in ministry as well, there's 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 days where there's huge excitement. There's days when there's real tragedy as well. And and in fact, the overlap between between journalism and and ministry is quite amazing. I'm I'm always fascinated by how how these years have prepared me or helped prepare me. Even in in sermon preparation, for instance, um, it would be the same as dealing with with a a big story. You you take all the information, you think, what are the most important bits uh, that I want to get across? And then how am I going to present this in a way that is interesting, that is attractive? And then how am I going to present it in the, in the shortest time possible? So I'm probably a stickler for time. Uh, having having been a newsreader, you were always watching the clock. You had to talk to, to the second. Um, so I'm a bit of a stickler for time. I like I like brevity. Brevity is important. But brevity takes time. Um, I'm not really sure who the quote is attributed to, but I, I, I didn't have time for a, this is going to be a long speech because I didn't have time for a short one. Uh, that, that's very true. It takes time to keep something brief, but I think brevity is important to keep people's attention. That's fascinating. When you prepare a sermon, have you got a time frame in view? As in a, a time frame to... to for to, the sermon, would, what, what do you aim for? The, the duration of the sermon. Yes, yes. Well, it's varied just now during during lockdown when we're doing online, and I'm not. Let's sure. talk about normal circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Twenty, twenty-five, twenty-six minutes. That kind of that kind of time. So, okay, so the, the, the whole the whole service would be an hour. Right. The tradition <laughs> which both you and I come from, um, I think we're we're both old enough to remember the days when long sermons were valued. Um, 
it was not unusual to hear a sermon. Indeed, when I was growing up, a normal sermon would be 50 minutes to one hour. Do you think there's any value in long sermons? There are a handful of preachers that I will happily listen to who, who might preach for up to an hour, but they're, they're few and far between. And probably my own experience of long sermons growing up was I was just bored and I, and I, and I didn't really listen uh, to them. Uh, and you always look forward to if someone was coming to a communion or something like that, that you knew was brief, uh, it, would, it was refreshing. And that's, that's probably stuck in my mind, but more so it's probably the, the, the media influence of, of having to be brief, having to make things shorter. That's the training you get. Can you say this in a different way that will save you five seconds? I mean, five seconds doesn't sound much, but in a three-minute news bulletin, if you're trying to pack 10 stories in or eight stories in, um, that matters. So the same thing has kind of followed into, into sermon prep. Not to the same extent. You're not looking to shave off five seconds here, but you're thinking, can I shave off five minutes by, by changing this, by dropping that? Just just that kind of stuff. Right, I'm really interested in your study process and how you craft your sermon. Um, can you give us a wee outline, if you pardon an expression, of how you go about it? Yeah, um, well, well there's, there's so many commentaries and, and helps available, but I do try most of the time, unless I'm really under pressure, to not go to the commentaries first, just to study the passage and think, well, what... What what do I feel I ought to be covering here? You're obviously praying about it and you're and you're looking to the Lord to lead you. But what do what do I think is important in this passage? What are the bits I want to take out? How can I break it up into two or three or four or maybe five sections? Three three is the default. Three points. Uh, so you can break it up into sections, and then I probably spend too long on my headings. So how can I now, you know, to make them memorable? Uh, but that's that's just one of those things. We all have our, our, our strange intricacies, so, and that's one of mine, trying to get headings that will stick in, in people's minds. Um, and then just try and try and put it all together. Uh, if, if you can find sermon illustration, probably that was one of the things I picked up from yourself, David, uh, during the years in Smithton, uh, just, just how important a, a, a good illustration is um, in, in making that truth stick so there's no shortcuts it honestly takes me almost as long now to prepare a sermon as it did when i started first maybe if i'm going to a passage that i have preached on before i don't have to do the background work the leg work um so that saves some time but uh there are no shortcuts okay is it an editing process um so i I am full script. I have to write my sermon uh, to 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 get it into my head. Then I used to waste a lot of time uh, shaving that back into just some headings that I would take with me in the pulpit. Um, I don't do that anymore. It was a waste of time. So I'll take my script in with me, but hopefully I'm not tied to it because I've gone over it a few times. So I'll maybe go over it three times. Uh, and every time there's things being stroked out, things that maybe I feel aren't necessary or... And, and, and some days you you pretty much go with the script you've got. Other days you you may go off on tangents which which are helpful. Or just as you preach to a congregation, there's a two way thing going on. That, that people are drawing out of you. People, you see someone, you think someone, you go off on a 
tangent. Hopefully they're helpful. Maybe they're not always helpful. Um, but I guess that's really different now with, with, with lockdown ministry, where you're just preaching to a camera. You don't have that two-way process with with kind of people drawing out of you. It's it's kind of different. So you tend to script, stick to the script a lot more. Yeah. What about eye contact? I mean, I'm surprised to know that you have a full script because you're you're quite a good eye contact guy. Is your script there as a safety net or yeah, do you follow it, it more rigidly than that appears? Well, the reason it's there primarily is I have to write things down to get it into my own head. Yeah. Uh, once it's written down, it's, it's there as a safety net. Um, it is there. I mean, sometimes anything can happen in a congregation that, that throws you completely. You know, someone could take a turn, someone could interrupt, anything like that. Uh, and it can really throw you. So it's helpful then to be able to just compose yourself and get back to your script. I always like to have it there. I, I would be very uncomfortable, very just nervous if it wasn't there. Yeah, and I mean, as you were growing up, uh, I think any decent preacher or minister is a bit of a magpie. We learn folk, we learn stuff from other ministries. Do you, are you, I mean, it's maybe an obvious question, but are you still learning and picking up uh, stuff from guys that you see doing things in a particular way? Sure I am, yeah. I'm sure I am. Um, I, I listen to a lot of stuff and sermon audio. I maybe don't watch that many sermons but I do listen to to a lot of stuff um so yeah it's funny I, I was home in Lewis at a communion um a couple of weeks just before lockdown uh, and my former uh, college buddy Hugh Ferrier was accusing me of copying a rather eminent preacher in, in the way I presented my points never thought about it before but uh actually when I thought about it afterwards I said that's exactly the way he the way he does it. So uh, maybe subconsciously you you do pick things up from 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 others. Well, you do. There's, there's just no doubt about it. It's yeah, that's, the way you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? I mean, you know, Paul speaks about imitation. A lot of that stuff is subliminal. And as, as long as, you know, I hear some guys and you close your eyes and you can almost hear exactly their mentor, you know, that's not great. But elements of all the ministries that you've, appreciated over the years uh, you mentioned a lockdown a couple of times we're recording this um, mid-May um, I think by the time it goes out we'll still be in a lockdown how have you found it for ministry yeah um, it's just strange I suppose um, but it's been it's been wonderful in the sense that our services and the gospel is reaching many, many more people than than it did before. So, I mean, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress at the start. How do we record? How can we get singing into it? All that kind of stuff. Do we do it live or do we pre-record? Um, so that was kind of stressful, but but hugely helpful to have two of us. So there's there's, there's two ministers here in, in Tina for Andrew McLeod is our assistant minister. So uh, he's he's the younger, more technical person. So it was good to have someone like that on board and, and just to bounce ideas uh, off each other. Um, we've also been very very fortunate to have someone here with with uh, video video editing experience. So I obviously did that in the past myself, but I'm pretty rusty on it. So to have someone who, who would do that for us and, and put it together. Uh, so we pre-record and it gets put together on Saturday, uh, ready to go out on Sunday. 
So it takes a bit of the stress out. Um, ministry is really different because now your busiest days, well, Sunday was your busiest day. It's is, is just very different now. Um, and, and the week is, is different. So the start of the week is busier because the end of the week is quieter because your deadline has shifted a day earlier or maybe even two days earlier. Um, but 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 just to see the numbers of people tuning in is is really encouraging, and and we're hearing stories every week of new folk who are listening, people who didn't go to church, didn't do church, maybe weren't interested in church, um, but all the things they were interested in have been taken away: their their golf, their football, their sport, their all the usual Sunday pastimes, and, and they've got time on their hands, uh, and maybe they're living with somebody else who is tuning in. Uh, so they tune in with them. So it's been really encouraging, really encouraging. How have you found the dynamics of it? I think you guys in the trade would call it a piece to camera, which is really a very unusual dynamic for a preacher. So how how have you found the whole experience? Yeah, so I suppose that's the one thing that I've had some experience of. So it's it's not as odd. So I'm just in my sitting room uh, talking to my phone. Um imagining there's a congregation there. So some days are harder than others. Some days you do actually still sense the the, the presence of the Lord and the prompting of the Spirit, and, and you feel liberty in preaching. Other days it's really just stressful. I can see people coming to my front door while I'm recording, and I'm thinking, please don't ring the bell and disturb me. I'll have to start this all again. And Just lots of distractions. You're hearing the kids or you're hearing people rummaging around in the house just outside the door and you're thinking, ah, oh, please don't walk into the sitting room just now. So there's lots of different stresses. It, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult. And, you, and you, there's kind of no room for error. Like in the pulpit, you know, you would drop something, you've got to bend down and pick it up. Well, when you're on camera, that kind of seems, you just can't do that kind of thing. Or last week, um, I'd forgotten the words to the Lord's Prayer, we do the Lord's Prayer after the children's address, uh, and it's not the way I learned it, because it's the, the more modern language. I realized as I was into my recording, I didn't have these words in front of me, so you're going through your head, do I carry on and try and busk it, or do I stop and find the words and start all over again? So there's just different pressures. It's a bit odd, uh, and not, not enjoyable most of the time, but the reward, I guess, is to see just how many people are actually tuning in and listening to the gospel. Yeah, are your stats up on physical attendance at the two churches? Yeah, definitely. Um, probably at the time of broadcast, I, I suspect they're pretty similar to what we would have on a Sunday morning. So Sunday morning between between Hilton and and Tain, we'd probably have two of the people on a Sunday morning. So that's probably roughly what's tuning in when it goes out first so it goes live at 11 a.m and 6 p.m but um within a few days that's up to four or five hundred usually usually the they reach about 500 within the week so that's amazing we, we have no idea who all of these people are but we are hearing from folk or hearing second hand of new people who are tuning in so that's that's wonderful that's tremendous um are you catching up any any reading can you tell us what you're reading just now Reading last few weeks has been I've hardly read a thing, but that's that's just mm-hmm. due to situations. We we've we've had somebody with us who was unwell and, and that's taken up a lot of time. Um so I've just today actually went back to finish a book which I'd almost finished, Spurgeon's Sorrows, 
by Zach Eswine. Uh, love that book. Phenomenal Just a wee book. book. Mm-hmm. Uh, met him up at Christian Focus a few months ago uh, and was really taken with him. So Zach is someone who, who struggles with uh, deep depression in his own life, but has a ministry to folk uh, suffering from depression. So he's picked up on a lot of stuff from Spurgeon's writings, and, but just the fact that he speaks from experience as well. Uh, it was a wonderful book and it, and it helped me at the time I was I was dealing with folk. Well, I guess you're often dealing with people who are struggling with depression. But at that time, I was dealing with specific people in a really dark place, and, and that book was really helpful to me. Uh, also, just plowing through a faith to live by again. Uh, I love that book. This is probably the fourth time I've read it. Don McLeod's uh, just on theology, uh, and I'm finding it really helpful again, just to refresh myself. Uh, I have a book here, which I've been reading now for about four months, J.C. Ryle and Holiness. Uh, I enjoy it, but it's heavy, so I only read two pages a day. And again, I haven't read that one for a couple of weeks. Are you a natural reader, or is it something not at all? Yeah. Not at all. I'm not a reader at all. In fact, my next book, the one I'm about to start once I finish uh, Spurgeon Solos, is uh, Joe Bernard's The Way Forward. I think my wife gave me that a bit two months ago and I still haven't haven't looked at it. And it's again it's not a big book. I don't read I don't read heavy stuff at all, but even even light reading, I'm I'm a slow reader. And some days I don't read I don't read at all. I, I do read a lot for my sermon prep. I do delve into a lot of commentaries and read a lot for that. But just general reading, it's not my thing. Now one of the reasons we're doing this podcast today is that you know we covered a wide variety of ministries a few weeks ago. Uh, we had Rico Tice on, and uh, a guy, a friend of mine, who's pastor of a, a kind of mega church in California. Um, you are a minister of what I would call an, an ordinary church. That's not been disparaging. You are a minister of a church that's typical of 99% of churches in the UK and around the world. Do you ever feel, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but do you ever feel that? Ordinary churches are somewhat neglected in discussion about mission and revitalization. Um, <clears throat> I don't think, uh, no, I don't think we feel neglected at all. Um, Let me put it another way do you get ideas from contexts that are very different to yours? Um, I'm not sh- well. You you look at what others are doing, and often you look at what people are doing across the pond in America, and and and, and there may be stuff that works, and there may be stuff that doesn't work. I think we just trial and error really uh, here. There's there's things we've been doing for years which don't seem to bear much fruit, and there's other things we do, and 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 you see. You see a lot of people recently, for instance, um, last year, September, when there was that, what was it called? The 10 Days Generation 19. 19, yeah. So, yeah, you guys did some really good stuff there. And Tell us what, about it. What we, so simple was just, it came from someone in the congregation, why don't we put invitations out? So because we had time to think about it, we we, we punted that to people. We said, we want you to pray about who you're going to invite. So not just you know, stick these through the door or hand them out to anybody. Pray about two people you will invite. And then we gave, on a particular Sunday, we gave everybody two invites with their bulletin. 
And uh, we, had an, we had an amazing response to that. I think over the two Sundays, we did over two Sundays, there were 28 new people in church, uh, of whom almost half, well, half have continued to come uh, and, and are part of the congregation now. So that was that was really amazing response to that. Uh, we did we did again or something similar at the start of this year. Uh, we began a sermon series called Responding to Jesus, and we did invite cards with so no specific date on them. It was going to run for several months. Uh, lockdown kind of interrupted that, but uh, I suppose in a strange way, we've got loads more people uh, tuning into these sermons than we ever imagined uh, would be. So sometimes the simple things like that are, are amazing. Other things we do, you know, we went, we we we, we took a, a tent into. This was Generation 19 week as well. Uh, we took a tent into a scheme in Bantor and had a guest speaker and invited people along. And really, we didn't see anybody from the scheme at all. It was just kind of church folk or friends of church folk that came along. So some things work, some things don't. Yeah, it's tremendous. I mean, sometimes here at the Mission Board and through the Generation Platform, we, we feel a bit like the lepers that came to Jesus. You know, not, <laughs> we put stuff out and you don't get a lot of feedback. So it's great to know that simple ideas and obviously our plans for 2020 have just evaporated. So mm-hmm. we're hoping to do something similar in 21. Um, you spoke about you. there are two ministers there, there's yourself and Andrew. How's, how's that worked out? Or perhaps more generally, what do you feel about team ministry? Brilliant. It's the ideal. Well, maybe not for everyone. Everybody's different. But um, I have a lot of deficiencies, and organization is is one of them. Um, So I can tend to run myself into the ground trying to keep up with things rather than take a few hours out to plan and to delegate. so I wasn't coping very well on my own, uh, and and probably really struggling. Uh, just some of it was through good things that were happening. We, we've 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 seen a lot of people converted. There was one particular year, twenty sixteen, which was phenomenal. Um, but it was it meant a, a lot of discipling of new believers and a lot of extra work in that sense. And although we were all on a high in in many ways and rejoicing at seeing the Lord's work, um, the, the the extra pressure of work was really hard to cope with. Um, so since Andrew's come, it's not just that you're that you're sharing the workload with two of you, but there's just someone there to bounce off, to to kind of run ideas past, to run, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult situation. And and he's an organizer, which is which is great. So he'll say to me, you know, why don't we do this? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. When? You know, he's always when, you know, can we can we talk about this on Tuesday? And I'm going, oh Tuesday. So, so he he nails me down, uh, and that's good. And and I mean, if it were possible, it, I think it is the ideal. You see it so often in the New Testament, in the Book of Acts, they went out two 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 of them together. Um, but we realise as well that we are very very privileged, and that there are numerous vacant congregations. So we do try and help them out as much as we can. Um, so, for instance, on a Sunday morning. Prior to lockdown, um, it's only one of us preaching. One of us does both Sunday mornings. The idea initially was that the other would sit in the congregation and give feedback, so we'd both be learning. Uh, that lasted for a few months, but after that, we, we now really preaching somewhere else most Sunday mornings if we're not preaching on our own. 
I'm looking after Lergan Boner, I'm the moderator for there. Uh, and we're just surrounded by vacancies. So we're really trying our best to help out these vacant congregations as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm mission board and generation. I love working with like Bob Ackroyd. He chairs. Mary is our coordinator, who's hyper efficient. Kirsten does the camps. Clinton's in Smithton. We had Ali McDonald and uh, Charlie Anderson. A series also of really good youth guys. Um, and I love working with with younger people. You know, especially younger guys who brought a different dynamic because you know you do get a bit out of touch, at least I do. How, how have you found that generational thing, working with a guy from a younger generation? It's great. I think we, we, we complement each other um, very well. Um, so his strengths might not be my strengths and my strengths might not be his. Uh, so so it, it works well together. And we do have others um, in the congregation who... Who are taking a lead as well. So, for instance, our um, virtual Sunday school that was just a couple of the girls in the congregation said, we'd, "We'd like to do this. Are you happy for us to do it? We're delighted for you to do it." So, uh, I was just I was going to that just now, and and, and it's getting views of nearly two hundred uh, just for a, a virtual Sunday school. And it's very very simple, just a Bible reading, uh, and then some questions for discussion, and then they have a Zoom hook up later on so it goes out at 10 or it goes live at 10 a.m on a sunday and then they have a zoom hook up where they go over their answers and just get to chat to each other at half 12 that's really simple but just to have two or three people who who said we want to do this and you go go ahead you know it, it's great and we've got this we've also got people who run who are running ladies bible studies men's bible studies uh, helping with youth fellowship all these things are great and again, that was when I was doing youth fellowship on my own, I would be scrabbling about on a Friday or a Saturday saying, who are we going to get to speak on Sunday? Whereas these people are, are planning six months in advance, which is fantastic, which is the kind of help uh, that I was needing. Yeah. Another thing that I want to talk about, and I think a lot of folk listening will be interested, is in building projects. And I know that for most ministers uh, it's an absolute nightmare i had i think three of them in smithton uh, with two manses uh, we had a building with a hall and then with a big building extension so it was actually five building projects can you tell us what your experience is i know that you're looking to uh, renovate an old health center in tain which you've purchased how's it been for you Stressful. Uh, it's it's yeah. It's wearying. Um, it's been years now. Four years anyway. Yeah, four years we've been at it. Um, and and it's just it's really probably getting the money together. Uh, so we bought the site. The site became available. Uh, just a perfect site in the centre of the town, in a prominent place, very close to where we are. Parking's already there. Um, probably two-thirds of the building that's there will be demolished and, and a third is newer, so it will be left in just slight refurbishment. Um, and, and the plans are there. We've got planning permission for it and, and, and that, but it's just a struggle of getting getting money. So we, we, we had hoped and anticipated when we bought the site, um, our plan was to, to borrow money from the church, but that, that option was not available. Uh, and just getting it, 
at anywhere near that kind of uh, level of interest rate has proved to be very, very difficult. Um, so it's it's dragging on a bit. Some people lose interest. We've, we've lost some key people of our project team over the last year. So at the moment, we're still really looking for a team leader. Um, uh, and that would need to be at this stage, at the stage we're at, uh, it would need to be somebody who has building skills, building experience probably, but also, you know, can take a team with them and can liaise with lots of different people. So getting the right person for that is crucial. Um, and, and, and then we're into lockdown and that's, you know, how do you rate, you can't really, uh, and we're not looking to raise funds for the project at the moment when others are raising funds for NHS and, you know, much more deserving causes. So, yeah, it drags on, it's wearying, it's tiring, but we we are convinced that, that it's the Lord's plan for us that we do that. The, the church in Tain is about 85% capacity. It, it, the building, while it might look okay, um, is crumbling and, and, and we just don't have the facilities there to do a lot of stuff we would want. So we believe we're meant to go ahead with this project, but yeah, it's it's challenging. It takes up a lot of time, uh, and 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 it's just it's there in the back of your mind all the time, you know, where you're trying to get on with the work of the gospel. You're thinking, how how do we how do we progress this as well? Yeah, have you got a bottom line yet about what your projected costs might be? Yeah, we're talking a figure of one point two million, so that's including contingency about 15% continuously. It's going to be over a million. And and, and and that's probably, you know, as as time goes on, costs go up. Uh, so it's it's a lot of money to find. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our building projects just now are, you know, per trees, well over a million. Um, Kilmally, it was a few years ago, it was just, well, it was under a million, it was 750,000. You know, folk are not blinking a million these days, and it, it really is quite a sum. Um, is there a bit of a, a significant gap? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a quarter of a million. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we need to get we need to get to the halfway point. That's that's our uh, struggle at the moment. Once we get to there, that we can access several hundred thousand from trust funds, grant aiding bodies, and stuff like that. So we we kind of need. Um, we need to get to that halfway point and but we don't want to take a bank loan that you're starting to pay back before you've even found the rest of your money so getting to that halfway point is the challenge uh, for us uh, at the moment um, yeah, so again, a, a good, yeah I'm sure you've looked at other great funding outlets like Kingdom Bank is a new kid in the block you know they're a very dynamic uh, bank who are know how churches work they know how finance works and you know Jeremy Marshall who you can listen to a podcast that we did with Jeremy a few weeks ago Jeremy talks about King yeah, I've spoken, so. spoken to Jeremy just by email and, and certainly that may be helpful and I did, did see that he had done a podcast I haven't listened to that one yet uh, but yeah we need to look at every avenue possible yeah. to well, let's move on to something completely different. I mean, this podcast goes out to a lot of folk. There's well over a thousand people listen. There's lots of folk from all over the world. One of the distincting features of Scotland Highlands of Scotland is bilingualism. There's two languages, English and Gaelic. That's also true in some of our Welsh situations. Not not free church, but I know there's a lot of Welsh speakers listen to the podcast. Again, who are in bilingual situations with English. And Welsh, 
you you're a naturally bilingual person. Do you think that there is still a role for Gaelic in the church in the twenty first century? I'm not certain. I'm not certain. So I, I, I preach Gaelic and I help out what I can. So I do a few uh, here just in, well, at least to Ross or in Renes area. They're usually a Sunday afternoon and you get 20, 25 people. They all, they all appreciate it. They all enjoy it. But I think um, Sunday afternoons, there are people who are committed to their own church and they want to be at their own evening service and their own morning service because it's maybe a small congregation and people will be, they'll be noticeable by their absence. So for them to stick in an afternoon service, maybe traveling as well is, 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 is a bit much. So attendances aren't great at these. There's one in Inverness on a Tuesday night, once a month in, in Greyfriars. The attendance there is certainly better because People don't have anything else on on a Tuesday night. Um, but back home in Lewis, uh, there's less of it that kind of communion begins. And so I think it's nicer to be together. I mentioned already that I did a communion there in mid, mid-March, um, just before lockdown, actually. And um, there were there were a couple of Gaelic services over the weekend. But on the Sunday, it was just, it was just one, just English. So everybody was, was together. And, and, and I think that's the way it should be. It's not helpful when it's kind of making a a break in a congregation and, and, and there's one group in the hall in one language and one group in the church in another language. So I wouldn't say there's not a place for it, but but I think it can actually be more of a hindrance very often than, than a help. That's fascinating. Do you find it most helpful um, in maybe pastoral situations with older people when you get into the what we call the heart language. Yeah, definitely, definitely in that situation. Um, so pastoral visits, hospital situations, that kind of thing. Um, if 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 Gaelic is someone's first language, they're just that's very often what people people revert to the past, people with dementia, that kind of they revert to their past. So if that was their first language, they're just so much more at ease. Hey, when you can do that. So maybe not so much here in Easter Ross pastorally, but, but when I go home in particular. But there are a few there are a few here as well who would be who would be native Gaelic speakers uh, from 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 birth. Um, so it can be really really helpful there. And and I mean I, I learned a lot in, in Gaelic fellowships and in Gaelic services, and I still I learned a lot of Christian experience from these old men. You know, I, I still go back to our sitting room with a communion full of, well, I imagined they were old men, they probably weren't that old at the time, but you know, guys with big long names and and, and, and nicknames, Monty and Donochach Tokan and Peebada and Donald Roag Arnold, and these were legends, you know, and, 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 and you learned a lot from that. They would talk about Christian experience, they would, and, and I learned a lot from them. So, you know, I, I think some people maybe who don't have that background, uh, they get converted, they hit their first battle and they begin to think, oh man, I can't be a Christian if, if I've got this struggle. And as having listened to these men, you know that's par for the course. You know, you're expecting it. So it was, it was helpful in my formative years. What about the phenomenon that when 
Gallic is on the rise. It's got a big profile. There's an increase in Gallic medium education. Gallic media is huge. How do you explain that when in the mainline culture, Gallic is becoming almost cool and vibrant, yet in the church culture, it's dying? Can you explain that dissonance to me? I can't. I don't know why. Um, I a few months ago I went to London for the quarterly Gaelic service. Uh, so I was there many decades ago, just attending it. Uh, I happened to be in London when it was on, and there was maybe sixty people, a lot of Gaelic speakers, native Gaelic speakers. So I was there a few months ago, and I preached. There was twenty-four people, uh, of whom less than half could actually speak Gaelic. The other half would be folk who were who were learning. Uh, so chatting to them beforehand, I could tell they had very little Gaelic. So it was it was quite challenging. You were having to put your main headings, maybe repeat them in English to make sure that these people uh, followed. So yeah, there's there's just not. I I don't know what it is. I suppose the, the language of the Bible, uh, the Gaelic is is alien to so many. We just they don't know that. The terminology, adoption, justification, sanctification, these are not words that, that crop up in everyday uh, language at all. And, and they're just not known to people, so they struggle. So if they've got the choice, even if they have Gaelic and can follow Gaelic, an English sermon is going to be easier to follow. So they'll go with what is easier, I think. Yeah, occasionally you would get pre Gaelic preachers, rarely, but who could speak in a more popular idiom? The classic to me was Kenny MacDonald, who ministered in your neighbouring congregation for Ruskin yeah. for many years. He had a very different form of Gaelic, didn't he? Yeah, and I would hope that I, I'm kind of following that example myself and being away, you know, having been away from the island so long, you, you, you're aware of just... The language, the words that people, nobody will know. So I try and avoid them and, and try and simplify the Gaelic. But I just don't, I just don't get the appetite there for Gaelic preaching now at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, I mean, a lot of this stuff is largely academic to a lot of our listeners. You know, they're not from the church, not from Scotland. And, and I think hopefully there'll be some degree of, of interest. You know, we do appreciate that. One of the the traditions in Scottish Presbyterianism, Scottish Conservative Presbyterianism, is the communion uh, season. And I've been in ministry now for, what, nearly 37 years. And probably in terms of our own free church culture, that's a significant change is the decline of what we call the communion circuit. Um is that a good thing or a bad thing, Alistair? Have you got any views on that? Um, I wouldn't like to label it good or bad. I think it's just symptomatic. Well, not even symptomatic. I think it's just a, the way things are. So, for instance, people would travel to a communion. I mean, they enjoyed fellowship, but they would also travel to hear that guest preacher whom, whom they enjoyed and whom they hadn't heard for years. It was like a convention in many ways, wasn't it? Yeah. But you can now hear that guest preacher anytime you like online. So people are kind of saturated in in in, in sermons. So there's not there's not that attraction of being able to hear someone you wouldn't 
normally here. But I think also just our day, we've become more individualized. We, 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 we just don't mix as much as we did. Now we should as Christians and we should we should long for fellowship and want that fellowship. And uh, I think that was probably the beauty of the communion season was the fellowship in homes. But uh, I'm not sure our generation is as hospitable or opening up their homes like they used to. Now that's that's across the board, it's not just in the church. In fact, I, I met someone recently who was had been touring, they'd been on holiday. They've been touring this part of Scotland and uh, their host was pointing out to them all these big, huge houses and said, no one goes into these houses. When they meet their friends, they all go out for coffee. And it just made me think that's, that's just a mega change in the way, way we live. That's true. People don't open up their homes in general. And, and I think that obviously has has crept into the church as well. We're not hospitable, we're not fellowshipping with one another as much as we did. And I think that was part of communion. You didn't just go to a neighbouring congregation uh, to hear the sermon and go home. You went expecting to be invited to someone's house and have fellowship with them as well. It's just kind of gradually died out due to the way the way we live now. And And, and I think there's a loss there, certainly. That's fascinating. I, I, I mean, I could, I could listen to you all day, um, but sadly, we're we're coming near the end of our time now. Folk are talking. A phrase that people are hearing these days is the new normal. Um, have you got any sense that when this lockdown is all over, that things will be a little bit different? Have you done any thinking on this? And if so, what is your initial thoughts? I don't know if, if they will be hugely different. I would hope so. But we are people who quickly forget, I think, and do revert to our normal patterns. So sometimes, although I, I, re, I hugely miss the fellowship of my own people and seeing my people, and I long to be back in fellowship, I also sometimes think, well, the opportunity we now have to reach people is phenomenal because they have nothing else to do on a Sunday. So they're they're tuning in because it's something to do. And once all your sports centres and your football restarts and, and your golf and all these things, I suspect people will go back to their usual pattern. My prayer is that, that during this lockdown, people will be changed, or people will get saved, people will get converted, and, and, and their priorities will change. Um, but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm just a skeptic. I'm, 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 I'm not holding out for a mega change in society uh, after this is over. Um, but I do believe God is at work during it, and, and, and I am trusting and praying that, that lives will be changed through it. Oh, so thank you so much. I mean, Don Carson has got a book of his father. It's called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. In a sense, today's been the podcast with an ordinary pastor, like we all are ordinary pastors. Yeah. But the great thing is that we deal with extraordinary material in the Bible. And, you know, you were talking about 2016. There was just a little slight breath of the Holy Spirit on the congregations in Pain and Fern. We just hope and pray for you, Alistair, that you will experience that in the next few months. And also, if there is anybody out there with a million pounds or a proportion of a million pounds 
or anyone who can help Alistair in the building project, please get in touch with them. Alistair, thank you for speaking to us today. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>